Welcome back to episode 11 of the Almost Shameless Podcast with Tanya Ray Fox. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox. Thank you for joining me on this Wednesday. Another hump day, another episode of Almost Shameless. Trying to keep it as consistent as possible. It's, uh, week two is, is done. It's in the books. There are an unprecedented 11 teams who are 2-0 right now. I believe that ties a record or sets a record in the NFL for undefeated teams through week two. So it's surprising that it's that high, but I'm not, I'm no mathematician. I understand it's possible. And um, my New England Patriots are not one of those teams. They did lose a thriller to the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday night football. It was exactly the game I imagined it would be, which is... Funny, I'm not always that on point, you know, but ahead of the game, I just really felt like it was going to be Cam Newton versus Russell Wilson. And I had a feeling that Russell was going to edge him based purely just on the fact that Russell Wilson, you know, what he looked like last week and just his trajectory over the last couple of years in general, plus the fact that the offense seems to be letting him kind of do what he should, you know, what we know he's capable of doing. I just, it felt kind of inevitable, especially because the Patriots traveled west. It was an away game for them. Obviously, they didn't have to deal with the 12th man. However, you know, it's uh, it's still different when you're not in your own home stadium and you're not sleeping in your own bed, you know? So the results were kind of predictable. I didn't think I would feel as good as I do after that loss. And I will probably get into that a little bit more. I also, you know, more specifically, I want to get into Russell Wilson and his place in the, you know, in the current NFL conversation in terms of all-time greats, in terms of who is the best quarterback in the NFL right now, and whether or not Russell Wilson, believe it or not, is underrated. I would like to have that discussion. So we're going to get into that. It's it's weird. It's a weird time. I know you guys, if you listen, you know I struggle from time to time to reconcile talking about sports and living through the world the way it is right now. So it's especially hard right now with the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who, you know, I tweeted that she really was so monumental and so important to many generations of American women. And her passing is, you know, while it's not surprising, it is jarring. And the timing for people who want to protect the rights of women's bodies and the right to control our bodies from... Uh, litigation in the Supreme Court. It's it's a little terrifying. Things don't seem to be working out in our favor currently. It's really, really important that if you would like to see change in the government, that you make sure you register to vote. Tuesday was National Register to Vote Day. If you are registered and you've never had any issues, just double and triple check that you're registered and that there aren't any issues. Um, and, you know, we've we are at an unprecedented time in American politics, we do not know what the future holds and we have to be really vigilant. And that doesn't mean you have to be, you know, angry or aggressive or loud about it. Just stay vigilant and know what your rights are and how to, and how to assert them uh, through the voting process. So, uh, having said that, uh, let's talk a little bit about what happened on Sunday night. That stuff coming up. So what we saw on Sunday Night Football was, like I said, just about the best of what we could have asked for um, in a battle between 
Russell Wilson and Cam Newton. They came into the league right about the same time. Cam Newton came in in 2011. Russell Wilson came in in 2012. And they have both been stars really from from early on. Uh, You know, people often forget that Russell Wilson had a really similar trajectory to Patrick Mahomes early on in his career. He kind of broke out in his rookie year. And then his second year, he won the Super Bowl. The Seahawks absolutely destroyed the Denver Broncos. The Peyton Manning led Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. And that was attributed, you know, largely to the Legion of Boom and that historic defense, which is, you know, unfortunate because when you look back on it, it's it's got a real Tom Brady in the early dynasty vibe where you give all the credit to the defense at the time because they're the known entity and you've got this defensive coach leading them and these sort of incredible numbers and they're just dominant. And the quarterback seems like somebody who is more of a game manager. Like they don't make mistakes. They make sure that the job the defense is doing is reciprocated and they just kind of don't fuck up. Right. But down the line, when you realize that someone is an all-time great quarterback that is extremely talented in the way that Tom Brady obviously turned out to be and in the way that Russell Wilson has turned out to be, you almost have to go back and examine those early years a little bit differently and look at them from a new perspective. And I think that that's what we really need to do with Russell Wilson in those Legion of Boom days. There was so much focus on that defense. There was so much much focus on what Marshawn Lynch could do that I really think he took a back seat. He was really sort of an afterthought uh, during those days. And to see what he's capable of now, especially when they let him do what he does, you know, is breathtaking. And Sunday night was a real example of that. You know, uh, a lot of people are going to jump to the conclusion that the Patriots defense isn't as good as it looked in week one. And while I don't necessarily think that's unfair, I mean, I I certainly get that. And I think that there are flaws on the Patriots defense, specifically along the defensive line. And their linebackers are, you know, that's Chase Winovich was doing a lot of heavy lifting for everybody. But the secondary is as good as it's been. The secondary is as good as it's been. And they played excellent on Sunday night. Uh, Gilmore really gave it to DK Metcalf. Devin McCourty was as good as he as he could possibly be. Pick six, you know. But you watch, and as good as they are, as tight as the coverage is, as as playmaking as they are, it it didn't matter. The balls that Russell Wilson was throwing were the kinds of passes I genuinely haven't seen. I don't remember a time where start to finish a player hit that many dimes just undefendable they you could not defend the passes that he was throwing there was nothing Stefan Gilmore could have done on that DK Metcalf touchdown nothing there was nothing he could have done and the same thing with Devin McCourty on the other end in the second half Russell Wilson made sure there was nothing they could do and You can say what you want about Patrick Mahomes. You can say what you want about Lamar Jackson and the duels that they've had with the Broncos in the past. I've never seen a quarterback neutralize the Patriots secondary the way that Russell Wilson did on Sunday night. No matter what they did, it didn't matter. So, you know, as much as I I understand that, you know, the Patriots defense allowed 35 points, 
it's very hard for me to be down on them when I watched them play really well and I just watched Russell Wilson put on a clinic. You know, I've seen Tom Brady make those types of throws over and over again in a game, um, but he can't move the way that Russell can, right? And so it's a little different. And, you know, when Tom Brady in 2007, when he was doing that and in and the years that he had Gronk, he had those guys. And I guess maybe DK Metcalf is potentially a superstar, but it's still kind of jarring to see him. He's making Salisbury's steak look like filet mignon. Truly. I mean, DK Metcalf is not Salisbury steak. That man is a very fast, very large player. But I wouldn't say he's the greatest wide receiver the Patriots have ever gone up against. I mean, Jesus. The narrative that has emerged that people are talking about is that Russell Wilson has never received a, a vote for MVP. And you look at the totality of his career. He and Aaron Rodgers are the only two quarterbacks in NFL history with a career passer rating over 100. Um, I think they're both around 102. And, you know, that's that's including Tom Brady. That's including Drew Brees. That's Peyton Manning. Nobody except for those two. And. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers, you know, played a few seasons before Russell Wilson got his chance. So it's even more impressive. Uh, But on the flip side, Russell Wilson throws into tight spaces and really, really makes it count. And he is not afraid to make a big play. And let's be honest, Aaron Rodgers is well known for throwing balls away to avoid interceptions. A lot of incompletions, just out, you know, a lot of throws into the second row of, of the stands rather than throwing into a tight window. And I mean, Rodgers hasn't had the the world's greatest wide receiving core over his time either, but neither neither has Russell Wilson. So those two are really in a class of their own on that front. And it's hard for me to imagine that in no season has anyone considered Russell Wilson the best quarterback in the NFL. It just really blows my mind. And, you know, Todd Gurley has received MVP votes. Carson Wentz has received MVP votes. And they haven't had nearly the impact on their teams that Russell Wilson has had, not just on his team, but on his division and on the league, frankly. You know, it's hard to imagine getting Patrick Mahomes without Russell Wilson, right? And right now, Russell Wilson is outperforming Patrick Mahomes. And it's not a small, not by a small margin either. So bringing it back to the game and how everything sort of played out, you look on the other sideline and there's Cam Newton, who threw for almost 400 yards and a touchdown and ran for two touchdowns and and truly put together a Tom Brady-esque final drive in that game that put them in a position to win. The final play call has been controversial. It was a play that they'd run successfully twice already. Some say that maybe they went back to the well one too many times. Personally, and this is what Cam Newton, you know, sort of reiterated on WEEI was in the reality, that's a play call that works. There was a statistic that he's run that play 20 times in his career. He's 16 and four, 16 times he's gotten into the end zone. So that's an 80% success rate on that play. He is the greatest red zone quarterback, you know, rushing all time. That is the guy that you put in that position. When you have Cam Newton, you're one yard away from the end zone. You put the ball in Cam Newton's hands Every single time, every single time. I have no problem with that. And Cam has said, you know, I could have bounced outside. I could have made a different decision in that moment. And I think that that's, you know, there's a lot of rust he's still shaking off. 
you know, for him to look as good as he did, for him to throw the ball as well as he did under pressure, you know, the Patriots constantly trying to come from behind in that game. I thought it was exceptional. He he looked as good as I could have. He looked better than I could have imagined. Uh, tr- genuinely, he looked better than he, I could have imagined in, in week two with this new team under these insane circumstances after a season of not playing. I couldn't have asked for a better performance from a guy, you know, in that situation on the road. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. He didn't make it into the end zone. And I do think that down the line, um, as the season progresses, those are the types of plays you can't you can't mess up. You know, when you're put in those situations, you can't fuck up. And the first person to admit that and to acknowledge that has been Cam Newton. So, you know, I, I just there, there I saw very little. And this was without, you know, they're without James White. And Julian Edelman had the best regular season game he's ever had. 170 or something like that receiving yards. He was extraordinary. And I don't want to have to see Edelman cross, you know, running these crossing routes on all game long, getting absolutely lit up. He was really shaken after the game and they can't utilize him to that capacity every single week. But this kind of goes back to last week, right? Last week, everybody was worried that Cam couldn't run 15 times for 75 yards every game. Well, this game, he didn't. This game, he they really just utilized him in the red zone on the runs and in these short run moments. And otherwise, he was passing the ball 400 yards. So, you know, I assume they're not going to use jewels like that every single week. It's again, matchups. It's game to game. Nikhil Harry made some big plays. He kind of started to step up his game this week. And he was really the X factor on that final drive after the big Julian Edelman catch. Outside of that, you know, a lot of the targets were to Nikhil. And I'm a little, you know, there were a few times where I wish he could have run through the contact a bit better. Uh, You know, guys are doing to Nikhil what they used to do to Gronk, which is they go low because you can't just body him. So you go low on the shins and ankles and kind of grab him and trip him up more than anything. And Gronk was so good at staying on his feet despite those kind of ankle tripping blocks. And, you know, Nikhil's not quite there yet. So I would like to see him progress in that way because he is such a monster to beat in, you know, once he's started to build up a little steam, you're not tackling the dude. So uh, I'd love to see him get through those tackles a bit better. But otherwise, I was really excited about the progress that he made. And yeah, like, <laughs> I I think that although the Bills are 2-0, and I genuinely believe the Patriots look like the best team in the division. And I have no reason to believe that they couldn't beat the Bills and shouldn't beat the Bills. Uh, Josh Allen is cool. He's a cool athlete, but they struggled to beat the Dolphins, like struggled to beat the Dolphins. And so I think at this point, the Patriots have no excuse not to win the AFC East from everything that I've seen. That stuff coming up. I'd like to talk a little bit about the Celtics and more specifically the way we've been talking about the NBA athletes in the bubble and how they've handled themselves um, while there. I think that there is a real disconnect between the media and fans who aren't in the bubble and what it's like to live under those circumstances and to be away from friends and family and to process grief and trauma while under those circumstances. And 
I think we saw that kind of play out a bit after game two of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Celtics and the Heat. The Celtics came into that series the favorite, as they should have. And they have, you know, they sort of escaped a seven-game series with the Raptors where they seem to kind of flame out at the end of games, specifically in the third quarter, and then at the end of the fourth became an, uh, an unsettling pattern. They came out of it, and then they sort of did the exact same thing for the first two games against the Heat. These huge 15, 20-point leads blown in the third quarter and blown at the end of the game and going to overtime and losing in overtime. And it's it there seemed like almost like there was a chemistry problem or something, you know, like I know some people were trying to say that maybe they were tired and fatigued, and I don't think that that was it. I, I mean, something was up. And uh, after game two, it kind of came to a head, came to a boil. And Marcus Smart was, it was reported that he was sort of, had lost it in the locker room and was yelling and arguing with Jalen Brown and that there were a lot of words exchanged to the tune of what the hell are we doing? (laughs) Like, what the fuck are we doing? This is pathetic. And I don't think anyone disagrees with them, you know? So it's come out since then. Marcus Smart sat down with an interview for The Athletic and kind of spoke about what happened and he is really revered as a leader in the across the league and specifically, you know, among his teammates, he is revered and he's beloved by fans for a reason. He works his ass off. He is one of the best defenders in the league and he's just a, a truly likable basketball player in, in a lot of ways. And they're led by a guy who encourages the camaraderie in the best way a coach can. You know, Brad Stevens came out of college as the type of guy who really knew how to motivate young guys and and young players and how to keep a team together. And that's why it was surprising to see that maybe there were some cracks and Marcus smart sort of talked about the process of being disappointed in the moment and looking around the room and seeing brothers and people he trusted and sort of almost allowing himself to be mad and to be frustrated and to express those emotions in a place that he, I think he feels safe to do that. It is game two. The loss came right after the second anniversary of his mother's passing from from cancer. She was only 63 years old and he was incredibly close to his mother. He she was one of those moms who made sure that he had everything she could possibly provide for him. And the anniversary of that and the grief process is hard enough, you know, when you lose a parent. But being in that bubble and living in this alternate reality, there's no fans, there's no energy. You know, this is a guy who's used to playing at the Boston Garden with, you know, some of the best basketball fans in the country. And here they are playing this team that they're definitely better than and blowing leads. And he's in this very dystopian situation, locked in a hotel room in Disney World. And he's missing his mom and he's busted his ass for years to get this team to the point where they are on the brink of an NBA finals. And, you know, the media is criticizing him and the team and reading into this outburst. And is there are there, you know, locker room problems and are there chemistry problems? Do these guys even get along and everything's being twisted and the guy is just 
you know, trying to explain that he's just getting through shit, you know? And, you know, he talked about him and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker coming together with Brad Stevens to have a conversation back at the hotel after all this stuff went down in the locker room and telling each other they loved each other and that they just wanted to be better for each other. And so all of this is to say, I think it's important that we remember when we're watching these athletes go through what they're going through, that this is not a normal situation. This is not a normal season. These are not pampered athletes living the high life and returning home to their $20 million mansions or their $5 million townhomes. These are guys who have sacrificed a lot to play the game that they love this year. They have spent more time than any athletes in this country focusing on social justice and focusing on that platform. They're dealing with the grief and trauma of the constant police brutality against black men in this country. They are missing their friends and family. They are grieving their loved ones the same we all are. And they're still chasing their dreams and still trying to fulfill an opportunity that they've worked their whole lives for. I can relate to that feeling, you know? I can relate to this, like, back and forth of every day feeling grateful for what you have and feeling grateful for your health and the health of your family. And then also being in this dark space where you really are forced to reckon with some demons. You know, there aren't a lot of distractions anymore from the tough stuff. You don't get away, get to run away on vacations and run away for long weekends and get out go out and get drunk with your friends. And it's, you know, we haven't been able to do that in a lot of ways here in LA, living here in LA has been a lot like living in the NBA bubble. So I can, you know, I can totally relate to that. And I think that we, it's important. We remember as media members that these athletes need a bit of grace and compassion and empathy more, even more than usual, you know, that tensions running high and the normal things we would see as, as cracks in a team or as functions of some sort of character flaw might just be that they're dealing with the same fucking 2020 shit that we've all been dealing with. I was having a conversation with Chris about the same sort of, same sort of things have been happening in the Clippers locker room and, and a reported fracture between the Clippers and Paul George. He has also been dealing with a mom who's ha- who has failing health and has also had to be in this bubble and has talked about having anxiety and being depressed. And and then this reporting comes out that the, his you know teammates are sort of rolling their eyes at him and looking at each other like, you know, whatever, when he tries to give them a, you know, a, a post series locker room speech after they lost their series to the Nuggets and. And, you know, my first thought was to be like, oh, yeah, classic Paul George, like this guy's just being a tool because, you know, he wants the whole team to stick together. And, you know, he hasn't even put in the work this year and blah, blah, blah. And Chris, he mentioned he's like, listen, what he's been going through personally has probably bled over into his ability to stay focused on the team. And he maybe he has been distracted, you know, like, aren't we all kind of, you know, especially if you have a parent in this time who's dealing with health issues and especially if you deal with mental health issues anyway. And he was right. George deserves the same sort of consideration that I was giving Marcus Smart. And and even my first instinct was to be critical of him. And, and so I think that, 
you know, as we move forward, especially in the NFL season, there's already been an onslaught of really, really brutal injuries. It's hard not to, to, you know, conflate them with the lack of preseason and the lack of, of training and just an, an inordinate amount of injuries to star players and really important people. And it's not, you know, under any circumstances that sucks, especially in the NFL. But in 2020, like these guys could have opted out. They could have done the thing where they were, you know, took the safe bet um, to protect their friends and family. But whether it was for money or because for the love of the game or whatever, they chose to play this season and they put themselves through a lot. And and this is just another blow. And it just I find it I just think that they're more than, you know, fantasy players. They're more than people who are going to cost us, a, you know, a couple hundred bucks in our PPR league. Like they're p- human beings who've suffered alongside all of us in 2020. And I hope that the tone of the coverage moving forward reflects that. So those are my thoughts this week. I, I didn't really have a lot of. I didn't have a lot of plans for how I wanted this podcast to go today. And I kind of want to just speak from my heart, the things that I've been thinking about. And that's what I've been thinking about. So no gimmicks or rants today. Uh, you know, I, I think I want to give the, the people with the bad takes a break. I think I want to give the world a break this week and just extend a lot of love and white light and positivity to everybody who's kind of going through it. There are a lot of women in sports media who've been under attack by men in sports media. And so I think for this week, I just want to remind everybody that we as women do this job against all odds every day. We start getting into sports against all odds and we stick with it against all odds. And the behind the scenes struggle is 10 times worse than what you even see on Twitter. So just remember that if we're doing this, we're doing it for the love and we've dedicated our lives to this. This is our career. This is our craft. It is not a hobby. It is not something that we do on the weekends with our bros. It is not, you know, checking Twitter at night after our work. It is an everyday 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year existence. And that level of dedication to what we do should be as respected and as appreciated as any other person in any other job. All right, that's it for this week. I can't wait to talk to you guys soon. Please stay safe and healthy and enjoy the rest of your week. I'll see you after week three. Bye.